Today we're talking with the one and only Stephen He, who you probably know from these two words. EMOTIONAL DAMAGE! Even though you might recognize him from his wildly popular comedy skits and TV series, behind the scenes, he's an incredibly shrewd businessman, entrepreneur, and comedian who's about to share his secrets of success, money, and the realities of living in China. If you do not pass this exam, we're talking about 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds here, you were basically like shackled to a life of labor. On this episode of... Subscribe if you haven't done that already. Although before we go into that, we gotta thank our sponsor. Now, thank you very much, Graham, for that wonderful intro. Before we get onto that, I'm sure a lot of you guys are college students that wanna build your credit, but you're either scared you're gonna overspend or you're like Dave Ramsey and don't wanna take on any debt. And if that's the case, then today's sponsor, Fizz, might just be the perfect solution for you. Fizz is the debit card that builds your credit and earns cash back. With Fizz, you get a credit limit based on how much you have in your bank account, and they offer an auto pay feature so that your bill is paid off automatically every single day. And of course, if you're like us, you might be wondering, but Grant and Jack, how does Fizz make money? Well, Fizz's revenue comes entirely off of the interchange fees that merchants pay, so it doesn't come from the cardholders. And the best part is that you don't need a credit check, security deposit, or cosigner to sign up. Fizz also reports to all three major credit bureaus, building your credit score like a normal credit card would without having to worry about building up some insurmountable debt. So sign up for Fizz today and get your card instantly on Apple Pay while your beautiful first edition Fizz card gets shipped to you directly. Fizz partners directly with MasterCard and Lead Bank and also international students can apply without a social security number. So sign up using our link down below and start building your credit in a safe and accessible way. Again, the link is down below in the description. And now with that said, let's get to the podcast. How many waters do you need, Jack? Uh, just two. Just two. <laughs> this guy's in actually incredible. He yeah. will go an entire podcast without a beverage, which to me wow. is just maniacal to be completely honest, because I don't understand how you can talk for that long without needing to drink. Oh, you're right. But yes, your mouth gets so like dry, so dry when yes. you talk. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't want to spend money on the yeah. water consumption. Yeah. <laughs> is what it is. Our water Dude, bill is out of control. We should totally talk about cheapness because I take pride in how oh, cheap, cheap I am. Oh, you're a cheap person? I have such a That's cheap person. That's Graham's favorite yeah. conversation yeah. topic. Okay. That's great. Right. Okay. Yes. Let's, let's see who's yes. cheaper. You know, his frugality is actually real. Like a lot of people are surprised when they hang out with him. He's not joking. He's actually that frugal. It's incredible. I think it's reasonable. I bet it is. No, I believe you because I, I think it's something to be proud of. You know, I am as well. Did you grow up in a, in a household that was cheap or uh, like I like I very yes. like conservative financially? Oh, very much. By the way, are we rolling? <laughs> yeah, we're yeah, rolling. We're okay, rolling. great. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I like that. Just roll yeah. right in with yeah. that intro. That's awesome. Um, I grew up in China and, and the mindset was very different. Yeah. Like I didn't know anything about investing at all. I didn't understand like financial intelligence or inflation or anything like that. Like I remember growing up, my, um, my concept of money was... <laughs> I make money and I save it. Like if you were if you were a smart person, yes. where I came from, you saved it. Um, the not so smart person make money and spends it, and they they get in trouble for not having money. Um, and so uh, the the saving kind of mentality was really a part of my childhood, like my upbringing. Um, but that's the culture as well. I feel like in a lot of Asian countries, is just um, to save. Yes, it's always it's the saving. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. That's the. For, well, Did you not know this, Jack? No. Okay, yeah, so uh -huh. I have a very biased perspective, and Go I'm not on. stereotyping yeah, yeah. or anything. That is not what I want to be doing here. Okay. But in college, I was at UCSB. Now, the okay. people that drove the Porsches, the people that drove the oh, Camaros, well. the people that drove the Mustangs, <laughs> the people that wore the Louis Vuitton, I yeah. noticed, were the yeah. foreign exchange dudes, yes. usually from the Asian countries. Um, 
And I always like kind of figuring like, okay, what's like the trend here? You know, because uh-huh. I can't be oblivious to something like yeah. that. Like, do they don't have money? Oh, like, I can give I can give insight to that. Um, so yes, during that time, like the recent maybe twenty years, and my my lifetime is very much within this. Uh, China had a massive, massive boom. Like China went from I'd say my grandparents. Uh, you you know there there was not an abundance like like people were hungry a lot from from my experience not I can't speak for the whole country but just my family's experience um, and then my parents' generation were born and when they hit adulthood that's when like China exploded all of a sudden everything was made in China so so these businesses um, started popping up and as you can imagine like anything in manufacturing you know logistics where we would make the stuff that you see in like Walmart. Um, that put a lot of wealth in China. And all of a sudden, uh, people who weren't used to having wealth would gain wealth very, very fast, mm. like become millionaires in a year and so um, by opening up a factory or, you know, the entrepreneurs who would take advantage of that massive boom. Uh, and then, this is funny, in my generation, when I was born, which funny, I was born in the, in the one-child policy. Mm. So um, I didn't know a single person, uh, like a classmate with a sibling. Not one. Like maybe. So what would happen wow. if you yeah. ended up having a second kid? I don't know. <laughs> because my, you, you can't just stop that. My happening. my like, understanding is that isn't there a tax? So it costs money, or I mm-hmm. think I don't know if we could talk about that on. Does here. the baby go bye bye? I believe. I believe so. It's if me- it's female, I th- I think the males were. Well, see, no, this is this right here. I've heard the exact same thing. Now, Uh I don't know if this is true or not, but this is just like a lot of Americans' perception of Mm -hmm. what happens. I'm sure a lot of viewers can relate. Maybe a lot can't, but like a lot of people think that like the the women babies less desirable because uh, yeah, they like go up for adoption or something like that. Uh, The less desirable. Yes, I have heard of that. Uh, well, the the answer is I actually don't know. I never, oh, okay. I was never told the actual rules. Okay. Um, but yeah, you could only have one child, and there was this pressure <laughs> that your whole family's lineage kind of rested on your shoulders, and Gosh. so you can imagine, right? The the friend. pressure. This is this is where the whole you must get an A, you know, all that all that uh, yeah. culture of uh, being extremely tough on your children kind of comes from. Um, is that you don't have anyone else Interesting. to carry I, on the lineage. And uh, that plus the the big pressure in China at the time of the economy and what kind of careers you had access the to. The opportunities. Yes, the yeah. opportunities. Um, it was a much like tougher competition than it is here. Um, just from some personal experiences, when I was 13 years old, we were about to do this thing called Zhongkao. And that is where... Uh, it's like the deciding point of if people continue on education or don't. Uh, and my experience growing up was it was largely accepted that if you do not pass this exam uh, and, and get into a school, because if you didn't get into a school, that was the end. You went out, you got a job, you didn't continue education. We're talking about 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds here. Wow. Um, okay. Uh, that The impression that everyone around was uh, kind of having was... If you didn't continue, you were basically like shackled to a life of labor, to being a delivery person forever or a farmer. Um, You know, you would have a bad life, basically. We were told that our parents would beat it into us. The school, the society would beat that into us that you have to pass this exam. Um, And uh, the, the passing rate was not high. From what I know from my city back home, it was less than a half. 
less than a half mm-hmm. get to continue on education where you would have a, a hope of a a good career you know like a good income where you could raise a family and things like that um that was my experience growing up i i don't know about other parts of china but i'm from shenzhen um and so <laughs> you can imagine the, the massive like uh, stress and pressure that society puts on and a family puts on to a child which they're definitely children 13 year old is definitely a child um and and yeah that was the concept that like i i never learned or understood financial intelligence in the way of like investing and how mm-hmm. to make money work for you um it was just rather simple of uh you get money you save it mm-hmm. because you likely you know you're not going to be able to get money in the future or uh, or things will happen that will cost money um a, a lot of concepts were a stranger to me when I was coming to the West. And it might, I take responsibility. This might be my individual experience because right. I am particularly uh, uh, uneducated in this field. Like, I, it took a while for me to understand medical insurance and why the hell people have it. Canadians feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. It's not just you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, in China, you, you get sick, you go to the hospital, you get what you need, and that's it. That was the end. And you paid, like... I know the price of a pizza for a regular visit. So it was never anything you consider. Um, It's all subsidized by the government though. Oh, I don't know. I don't because know there's no way works. you can pay the price of a pizza for yeah. some actual. The government thing. really owns everything though. So of course they're going to provide healthcare to their citizens. Citizens make a lot of uh, business. They're very productive. The government wants to help those people survive yeah. and, Keep working. Yeah, well, so, I, I fully yeah. admit I am very uneducated in, in politics in China. Um, but yeah, the reason I brought up like kind of the field was, um, wow, that was a long tangent. Um, people like, that was what people in my parents' generation got wealthy um, when no one was being, no one was used to being wealthy in China. And as a result, they kind of gave their children everything that they didn't have. And I knew many like, children who was either my classmate or close to me friends who were like this <laughs> and that's where you see the louis vuitton wearing kids outside because we kind of growing up anyway now it might be different but growing up we considered coming to the west to mostly england america canada you know these countries uh is considered like the best place to send your kids for a good career and a good life um and when those very rich chinese people send them over they just give them everything they want. So that that hmm. uh, that represents a very small number of children, um, and we actually have a name for them. We call them "fu or die," which translates to "rich second generation." <laughs> so that that is exactly what you were describing earlier, and huh. I I know I've seen many of them myself. I was not one of them, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had quite a few Japanese and Korean friends. Hmm. Uh, they were very much like their families were very much. Don't show, don't no flash, very modest, save and be like yeah. very frugal. And like that was really important. Yes, it was. Uh, wow, that's that's fun to think about back then. Like growing up in China, there are a lot of experiences that I'd love to share with you guys. Like, please, uh, please do. I'm so, I'm so yeah. curious. Uh, oh, like going to school, everything was cash, by the way. When I was a kid, yeah. everything was cash. I, I barely. <laughs> I didn't really know about bank accounts. Like my parents probably had them. I probably had, uh, but for me it was cash. Like you would get your allowance, and uh, I, I'd probably get like a hundred yuan 
every week and I'm living through such a happy memory. And what would the, what's the conversion? There. What would that be like? A, a few dollars American, I believe? I, I, yeah, probably less than $10 maybe. Okay. Um, and what you That's could buy good. with it. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. A $10 allowance a week? $20. What is it? 40 a month? Yeah, my, yeah. Allowance, my allowance was $2 a week. <laughs> and this you, is back then too. So yeah. inflation, that, that's, that's pretty, pretty decent. A, a better reference is probably what it could buy rather than, you know, the dollar yeah, exchange. Sure. Like what it could buy. I remember, um, oh man, I'm so happy even thinking about this. On the way to school every morning, it was like 7 a.m. And I was the monitor. So I had to get there extra early to take care of all the, all the responsibilities. Um, I would stop by like a, a rice noodle stall. And these were all hole in the walls, literally. Like they didn't even have a have a front wall. Mm. <laughs> it was a building with a with a room cut out of it. Uh, let alone not having a door. They didn't even have a wall. Um, and uh, it would generally be like one person running the whole stall. You know, making rice rolls and uh, and uh, serving people, making financial transactions and cash, which now I think is probably not very sanitary. Mm. <laughs> thinking yeah, back sure. on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and. I remember a rice roll would cost like five yuan uh, going to school in the morning. And I would maybe get like a, an extra soy milk or an extra shalom bao. And that was that was everything. Um, and I particularly young, remember yeah. as well, the, the people that I saw were very happy. Like I remember this one guy who ran a rice roll stall. He would he would knead the dough and make the food. And he would dance to it every day. So I'd go get my food wow. and I'd watch him like like working away dancing. And I always like remember that because I like to think he he was that was his dream. You know, I like to think he probably came from somewhere much worse. And he's just so happy to have his own stall and to have his own business and to be able to feed, feed kids on their way to school. You know what? Before we go into that, though, I've seen a lot of people try to get into businesses, and I've seen firsthand just how difficult getting funding can be, which is why our sponsor, Fund and Grow, wants to help. That's because Fund and Grow understands the challenges small businesses go through when they try to get the funding that they need. Traditional bank loans come with tons of restrictions and the slow corporate bureaucracy. That's right, Graham. However, Fund and Grow offers a simple and unique alternative. With a 12-month membership, you can secure up to $250,000 of credit at 0% interest without giving up any equity in your company. Fund and Grow also has over 4,000 4.9 star reviews because their streamlined funding process delivers fast and efficient results that has already helped out tons of small businesses. And as a special offer, Fund and Grow is offering a business funding program showing you the five steps to obtaining up to $250,000 in business credit. And also, as an exclusive bonus, you can enjoy up to a $500 discount on their services. So take action now and begin growing your business. Visit Fund and Grow today down below in the description. And now with that said... Let's get back to the podcast. Uh, and then, yeah, and then like bubble tea swept over. I remember the yeah. summer that all of a sudden everyone went from drinking Coca-Cola to bubble tea. And it was it multiplied like more than Starbucks is today. Just took over the mm. whole the whole city. Um, I remember that. Uh, and so, yeah, it was the cash. Uh, and the things that we would kind of flex or be happy about was, oh, look, I got the new snack. I got the new That's <laughs> cool. spicy peanuts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was awesome. There would always be stalls outside the school in like a, a cart that could be wheeled away in a second. Yeah. You know? uh, and they would sell the strangest things. Now that I've come to the West, I, I've realized that a lot of the things they were doing <laughs> were taken from the West. Like there was this year in school must have, wow, it must have been like 11 or 12. Yeah, 11 or 12. Um, where all of a sudden hash browns became the thing. No. Ha like, 
<laughs> like the McDonald's like the Mac- hash yeah. browns, like they come the in the thing. Exact <laughs> hash browns they have in McDonald's. The exact but those shape. Are good. Yes. Yeah. And I, I wonder where did they get them? Because I got a later on I realized they were the McDonald's yeah. hash browns. Like, is this a, is like an off brand? Did someone figure out how to buy it or just go to the supplier yeah. that McDonald's goes to? Like those were the stuff. Like growing up, what I remember. Wow. Uh, off brands was huge. Oh my god, I love this topic. I genuinely love this topic. Oh my gosh. I've made a lot of videos, uh, skits about off brand products. You know, that's like my childhood growing up. So every chip bag I brought was off brand. Every like. But give drink. us an example. Like, oh. do we have Doritos? <laughs> and then you were like, yes. what's yes? The, like, the product would yeah. be <laughs> sometimes. Pretty close, sometimes way off. <laughs> like you'd go to you go to a stall, um, and these would be like shacks. You know, the part of a building, uh, products just laid upon like a like a wooden board with with uh, ledges. So sure. they'd put bags of stuff on the wooden board. Uh, <laughs> and I used I remember I drank stuff. I drank uh, this lemonade drink that was that I thought was Sprite. I didn't even know what Sprite okay. was, uh, but it, it tasted completely off. But we we're like, <laughs> oh well, this is what you drink. You know, this yeah. is what we grew up here. This is what's available. Um, we had off-brand versions, definitely of potato chips, lots of potato chips, Pringles. Uh, Pringles would be an easy one to oh, knock yeah, off. Oh yeah, so many. Yeah. Uh, rest. Oh my God! Don't get me started on restaurants, bro. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> which, which ones? Restaurants. Oh. I swear, where I grew up, this was Shenzhen, <laughs> Luohuqi, Shenzhen. Um, there must have been like five off-brand KFCs. Are exactly you where I lived. <laughs> 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 they would copy the exact items KFC sells. Serious? Like KFC would come out with a wrap, they would come out with a wrap, and they were like five times cheaper. I have no <laughs> idea how they managed to swing that kind of prices. Uh, that was, was KFC like, not in China? It was. It was in China. So they were, just uh, the <laughs> was there no like legal issue? between? Just, oh, bro. The, I bet. <laughs> Good luck trying to shut that yeah, down. Yeah, I bet at this moment there are shops with my face just plastered on the front and I don't know anything about it. In oh China. Yes, I bet. I bet, I bet, I bet. Yeah, you, sh- yeah, you shut one down and five more to open <laughs> up like the next day. <laughs> That's a that's They're a quick. It's a yeah. real thing. Like yeah. for for no reason, you just see someone's someone's uh, uh, pineapple juice stall with like Tom Cruise face slapped on it, going like this. <laughs> no. I swear, you see that everywhere <laughs> you go. It's probably still happening today. Uh, so I love that stuff. The off friend. Uh, but, but now Jack foods. brought up a question though. Legally, <clears throat> can they ever? I mean, I know they're yeah. not. They they maybe can't shut them down so uh-huh. what's the strategy is it just oh. to open up and like just do as much business as possible i th- i think it was such a common thing that people took it for granted like i don't think kfc ever went oh let's close them down i i doubt that well being an american company yeah. i see they, they would probably want to do that um but culturally no one went around going like that's not supposed to be here we kind of just enjoyed it <laughs> it's wow. just a part of it all um but copyright does have a a bit of a different um oh my god like, how, but like how exact were they in their copying like kfc do people know oh that's kfc <laughs> was the but name like, got, similar to kfc the name was very very similar they copied they copied the art they would draw exactly the same but they might swap out like instead of a what do you call that thing it's a bow tie or yeah. it's, a, it's a regular tie um <laughs> they would swap out little bits there were pro- i remember products that were so similar to the real one it really take you a second to to see. Oh, there was an extra dot on the the wording, or oh. you know, oh, this one uh, ha, has an extra line at the bottom. 
Could it uh, be named Kentucky Fried Chicken, like KFC? I bet there was. Like most of the time, I would see them switch up one word or one syllable yeah. even. Uh, but I, I'm quite confident there are a few that straight up pretends to be. Wow. <laughs> not even hiding, just oh straight up God. saying we are KFC when they're absolutely not. <laughs> so did you pass that exam when you were 13? I was wondering uh, that. I didn't do it. I actually immigrated. Before? I, yes, right before. Literally right before. I immigrated from Shenzhen to Ireland uh, and I became an Irish person through immigration. And China, I, so if you immigrate as a Chinese person, you do have to forfeit your Chinese citizenship. Um, so, uh, so that's what happened. I came over and I joined the Irish system uh, and that was a whole other world. It was, you know, throwing myself into a very different social structure with different language, different manners, all of a sudden, everything I knew was uh, was different. So I was very much thrown in the deep end. Uh, and what were some of the differences between yeah. the two? Oh, I thought of two things. Let me say these two things before we continue. Yeah. Oh my God, it's gonna be so funny. This is like this is like a stand-up bit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> everything we talk about is great. Uh, there's two two off-brand things that I remember uh, specifically um, growing up. That when I came to the West, I was like, Oh my God, this is how things worked. First one was movies. Oh, this is this is terrible <laughs> because I am in the film industry. So this is terrible. This is what it was like in China. Growing up, <laughs> to watch a movie, you went down your building out to a stall that would that had essentially a cardboard box with like 200 DVDs inside it. And they were all rip-offs. <laughs> None of them were licensed or anything. They would all have like a uh, these were they didn't have boxes. They were like a envelope printed with the movie poster. You would take out and you'd be like, oh, this is this movie. And you'd pay like something ridiculous, like two yuan, like nothing yeah. cents for it. And you brought it home. And usually it was a different film because... <laughs> It wasn't what it was yeah, advertised you know as. Usually I had a they buddy rip you off. Buy one in New York. Thought it was Harry Potter. Yeah. Put it on, and it was a video recording of so like some other movie. <laughs> yes. Someone was in the movie theater with the camera. But you would get that all the time. Yes. Yes. yes you would. And if, you would hear some like coughing in the background. Yeah. In yeah. fact, you would feel lucky if you didn't get that. Yeah. If I bought like a film, put it on, and it wasn't a secret like recording yeah. in the cinema, it would have been a special moment yeah, I for me. You, we saw like someone's head in front of the thing, <laughs> yeah. like blocking up part of the bottom yeah. of the screen. Uh, same with video games. Oh yeah. my god, you would buy a video game and and plug it into a computer. It'd be a completely different video game. <laughs> uh, and that's the another big. I want to share this experience because it's gonna be so funny yeah. to you guys. Um, growing up, there was this game everyone played. It was like the oh, it, you talked about it in school. You know, it was the popular thing. Um, it was a racing game, uh, like a, like Need for Speed, like that kind of racing, sure. but in a cartoonish style, um, not realistic. Like Mario style. Kart. Uh, dude, let me tell you, okay. we um. So it would be hype. You'd like practice on the weekends to get better and all of that. Uh, and you'd pay for the newest skins, the best cars. It was the cool thing. Everyone did it. Uh, and then I remember I came to the West and, and I kind of stopped playing that. Uh, and I lived in the West a while for, you know, a couple of years. And then occasionally one person just brought up this game. Hey, uh, <laughs> hey, let's play Mario Kart. And I was like, oh, okay. They flipped on the game and I went, they copied the game I used to play when I was back in China. No. I legit thought Mario Kart copied the off-brand game that we used to play. And it took me like a month to convince me, no, Mario Kart is the original. Wow. I, that is such a funny experience. Right? You grew oh up thinking that's the thing. And you see this, wait, wait, the controls are the same. <laughs> you can drift too. Wait, what? You can get items that you could use on people. They copied it. No, but it was the other, uh, the other oh way around. Oh my gosh. 
So, oh, that's the story I wanted to tell. It's so funny. Gosh. <laughs> so, that's crazy. How, so how are some of the customs different then when you moved out yeah, from when China? I moved yeah, to Ireland. Uh, I, I got a very hard kind of experience because my mom put me into an Irish school right off. It's literally the day. I've told the story before. The day we landed in the airport in the morning at 8 a.m., um, we went to this new home that I'd never been, and, and my mother had married an Irishman, and uh, and she's like, "This is your new father." I was like, "Wow, is, you know, everything's so disorienting." <laughs> Eight a.m. We landed. Eleven a.m. I was in school, and my mom said, "Here's the principal. Here's Stephen. Good luck. Goodbye." How was your English or Irish? I or didn't what? speak like, a word. What no, what language do they speak there? Uh, in Ireland, English. They speak English. <laughs> Don't laugh, Graham. <laughs> Don't laugh, you look more Irish than me. You probably have <laughs> Irish heritage. Look, I'm not the most cultured guy. I've been trying to leave you know the country. Funny? Jack was asking what I thought his IQ was before this. That's not an IQ question. That's a trivial knowledge question. That is proven to have no correlation with IQ. I agree. I agree. You're, that is yeah. trivial knowledge, yeah. Graham. That's so funny. That is completely detached. Okay. I'm just uncultured. That's yeah. simply what it is. I've never left the country. Never That's had an totally opportunity good. to. Yeah. That's this guy totally locks good. me in Vegas in my cell and I can't leave. Not until you get the podcast I can only edited, leave when yeah. we have yeah. to shoot a podcast. I go right back into the cell right afterwards. Dude, that is so funny. That is exposed. <laughs> okay, they speak English in Ireland, but you didn't yeah. know English. They, they do, okay. they do. I, I thought Irish was a language. No. Oh, I it did. is. It is a language. Yeah, okay, yeah. all right. No. Um, oh, it is a language. Yes, it's a language so called it's not Gaelic. Uh, that only about... I remember the metric I question now, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some people don't. Well, know hold on. Let me just point this out. He uh, says his IQ he measured was one fifty five, which yeah. I'm just gonna call completely yes yeah. on that. That is that like is that is human, like, right? No, it's, no, it's, it's human. Not. It's just like I mean, genius is one forty, right? Like that's oh how you get God. into Mensa. No, I think it's one. Thirty-five. No, it's one forty. Are you sure? Oh, yeah. So and he also thought the average IQ was eighty. So that's all I'm gonna say. That's all I'm gonna say, guys. I don't want to. Okay, I'm not gonna talk more on this, this IQ thing. Uh, but he's I, making I'm, fun of me. I'm I want to know what I am. How I do think I the find average out? is eighty because I hang around these guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's, why. that's funny. That's really how funny. do I do? I want to know. I want to test myself. Well, he took a free test online. Oh, bro, yeah. you can't take a test. <laughs> That's yeah, and he's all you wouldn't believe it, man. It was, but I, took I took an hour on this test. It was like the hour long one. No, it's you gotta like, like take an actual test, man. It was an I hour took, long. You know what? I took my test because right. yeah, I gave him. So I yeah. took two IQ tests. Okay. The first one I measured like a one twenty seven or one thirty or something like that. Okay. The next one was a one forty one. And no, that's not right. That's, it that's can't be that right. far. Apart. Well, hold on. Honestly, you can't okay. say that. And but then obviously I didn't disclose the fact that I took the test at a Scientology museum. Okay. So of course they're gonna Scientology. Know, yeah, the numbers yeah. are probably not the most accurate. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, but it was. It took a long time. It was a full-on hour-long test. You know, we, we did all the behavioral tests. We did the aptitude test. Oh wow! So there must have been some sort of, you know, true how, to how the. How did it get it so far off each other? Well. I don't know. I think people change. It was it was a couple years. Oh, between a couple years. Oh, okay. No, okay. it wasn't back to back. Oh, no, you did it was, back to back. No, no, no. no, no. It, was, it was a couple years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. It, people yeah. do change. Yeah. How, so how old are you, Jack? Twenty four. Twenty four. You look older. I'm twenty six. Yeah. Well, I also yeah. I had a bad allergic reaction that aged me about 30, 30 years a couple days ago. So I look like I'm fifty right, right oh. now. But. <laughs> It looks no, like Jack has a bit of a sunburn, like yeah. a very, very uh, light. Like you saw yeah. a little sun. Yeah, my yeah. lips bad. are all chapped. And uh, no, you look fine. I no, did. Yeah. I don't know that at all. Thank you. Yeah. So I look much. way older than I. Uh, people. How people old think are you? I'm 26. 
People think I'm no, an actual dad. <laughs> really? Yeah, a lot of people think that. No, I think yeah. you look about I feel like you can go anywhere from 22 to 35. Oh, awesome. But, yeah, but you could pass for yeah. anything in between, no matter what yes. you say. You could say yeah. 30, you could say 22, uh-huh. I think. My hair probably probably makes me look way more mature than it is I am. Yeah. You carry yourself haircut. very mature. Oh, I do. Yeah. Oh, that's it's probably because of the trauma that's, that I yeah. went through when I was there. Also, we were talking about the Irish experience. Yeah. Um, where we went to Limerick, my mom kind of uh, moved the whole moved myself uh, to Limerick, and I remember in the school there was one other Asian person, and he was Filipino. So within miles, there was no one who spoke Mandarin, and I didn't speak a word of English. Uh, so it was sink or swim. Uh, my days were miserable <laughs> the only way i could cope was to copy people like if i saw people sat down at the chair i would sit down at the chair but if they took out a red book i would take out a, my red book but i had no idea what anything meant how do they put you in class wouldn't they test you in and realize like you don't uh, speak the well they know uh, i don't speak so why would they put you in there <laughs> that does it not make sense how do you sit and listen it kind of them? is like that yeah. it, i sit there and i just wonder to myself what's going on today how is but, so how do they it? expect you to Sit through class on that. I don't know what they. Ex- okay. I guess they Did just. You, but you couldn't have possibly learned anything. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, I guess, um, I, the first time I moved to Ireland, I was eight, uh, so a little bit earlier. I went back in like chunks: China, Ireland, China, Ireland. Um, so the first time, eight-year-old me probably was more malleable. Is that is that the word mm-hmm. to use? Yeah. I, I picked word. up language faster. Um, so first year, geez, I I could not, I just could not understand anything anyone would say to me. Um, and I de- it developed like a, a defense, a coping mechanism. Well, where I would just play dumb. Um, like if someone, if the teacher is speaking to me, dude, what else am I gonna do? I'm just gonna stare at you, not understanding a single word you said. Uh, when people brought me places, I would just go with them. And uh, and I remember they they put me in the special needs class as well with other mentally challenged children. Uh, probably because they thought I was mentally right. challenged for for good reasons. Yes, I did very much behave very dumb. Uh, that was like the first year. And then just through living, I started to pick up uh, what words meant. Like occasionally I'd know what food meant or what big large activities went, meant, what riding a bike meant. Um, and then by two years, I was able to communicate like kind of normally I would, I would be able to communicate, but with many holes. Like <laughs> this is so embarrassing. I wouldn't no one would teach me this stuff because no one spoke Mandarin. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I would say things to a group of Irish kids like, hey, uh, can I read your bike? And then everyone would laugh at me and I'd be like, what, what's what's so funny? And people like, it's ride, not read. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of that experience, hundreds and hundreds of times. <clears throat> and that's kind of where, where I developed the, the defense mechanism to play stupid. <laughs> wow. I just, cause, cause yeah. When you first went there, you had no idea like how to speak English. Were you yes. effectively just mute? Did you just not say things or did you like how? Yeah, I didn't say You just kind of sat there. Yes, I just sat there. How would you do tests and pass anything? No, I wouldn't pass any. The only thing I, I had, this is kind of funny actually. The only thing I understood was numbers. So to the Irish kids, here's a guy that is completely silent, that doesn't understand anything, but he would like no math better than the teacher. And so they thought it was kind of some, some kind of savant, you know. Uh, but in reality, I just didn't speak the language. <laughs> yeah. And my math was very advanced. Um, so I would, uh, I, I would know quite often, actually, um, math topics better than the teacher does. 
Uh, so that created a funny little perspective that to other kids might have been entertaining. <laughs> oh. I mean, the, the, the teacher wouldn't call on you, though, because they knew, like, they learned, I'm sure, after time, okay, yeah, don't yeah. call on Stephen because yeah, he won't kind of. speak back. Yes, that is true. Yeah, they did call on me, and, and it would always fail because I would stand up and I, like, I don't know, and I just sit back down. <laughs> would you ever yeah. just speak Mandarin, though? Like, just like explaining no. something? Uh, it didn't make sense to me to speak Mandarin. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I, I suppose it was such a. Uh, social like subconscious hit that I developed a shell and I developed like a coping mechanism to, to dissociate in, in a way um, and that I believe that kind of made me really introverted as you can mm. imagine and so I spent the vast majority of my childhood even my uni days in my room I, I would play video games I would not go see a single person uh, and I feel that about Ireland that I, I'm a little uh, sad that I missed out on that whole experience. I've never went to a single party. I never went to the bar, which all the kids, as soon as they're 18, they went to. Um, uh, I had like one friend who would occasionally come play FIFA with me. Uh, and that was it. And even in my uni days, I spent the whole time in my room. It was only after that, when I went to like acting training, that I began to open up in terms of personality and actually be able to talk to people and share a connection, tell stories, like learn how to interact. Um, so yeah, that was quite the experience. I'm glad I'm the way I am now. It's uh, it's very I I enjoy company. You know, I enjoy talking yeah. to people. I enjoy hearing their stories now, uh, and it's much better than like playing video games in my room. Yeah. When did you come to the U.S.? <clears throat> About five years ago. I came here because of an acting school called the Neighborhood Playhouse. Uh, so I wanted to become an actor when I was 13, and now being like after understanding a lot more. Um, I understand the reason I kind of started was because I, I needed validation because I felt lesser. I felt really lesser. Like everyone else had, you know, uh, what they had and, and their, pick, their parents came and picked them up from school when I had to walk home alone. Um, kids, other kids could have that. I couldn't. You know, there was, uh, there was many situations where like I'd be, uh, I'd be in a living situation where another kid would, for dinner, for example, would get the fresh bowl of rice, I get the leftover bowl of rice. It's just a, a lot of experiences in distilled that lesser feeling in me. Mm. And because I felt lesser than people, I craved, you know, for people to tell me I'm important and I, and I deserve to be here. And so for that result, unconsciously, um, that's why I wanted to become an actor. Uh, and now, now that I know that, I have much more power over that. And it's like, oh, I, I don't kind of crave validation as much mm. as the child version of me did. Uh, and so it was because of that, I did a lot of theater. Uh, I went to London to do a bachelor's degree in acting. And then I was 20 years old when I graduated my bachelor's degree. I went to New York to the Neighborhood Playhouse, which, um, to my knowledge, is one of the best acting schools on the planet with many Oscar-winning alumni who are actors as well. Uh, so that's why I came. And then I finished the acting school. It really changed me as a person because a lot of the, a lot of the defenses I built up, um, I wasn't aware of before. But through that process, I learned more about myself, about what made me the way I am. And that's actually the reason I, I can change myself now because I understand. Oh, so I feel this way because of an experience lives inside me from when I was 12. Hmm. Um, and that has uh, helped big time. So then went into the industry, uh, did a did a bunch of stuff. I was in like Comedy Central. I was in Showtime. Uh, I did a bunch of movies where uh, they weren't huge. Like not many people saw them. Uh, but I was the lead and stuff. But that was not a career. That's a whole other story. Uh, how did you How did you even get into that? Like Comedy Central. Mm -hmm. Like some of these things are pretty big. How did that 
What did oh, that take? It was you? just an audition process. Yeah. At the time, uh, I did a lot of theater. I did 61 stage shows and haven't done one since. It's been a while. 61 stage shows since I was 13 years old in Shenzhen, in Limerick, in London, Edinburgh, and uh, New Jersey and New York. So I've done a good amount of theaters through like my journey that I've built up. Um, and then I entered the film industry. And at first, it was waking up every morning submitting to 20 acting jobs. And I was really hungry. I had drive like crazy. So I would uh, actively lose money to beg for a job. I was like, I, I will fly to Illinois to do a Shakespeare play at my own expense, fly and lodging. And they'd probably pay nothing anyway. Um, I was that hungry. I just wanted a career. But I, I was also very, uh, I was unaware of how uh, kind of difficult it was to have a career in acting. Like I didn't know the stats mm -hmm. or, or rather I might have known the stats, but I was, I was emotionally disassociating myself from it. I was delusional thinking, ah, I'm, I'm the one in a million, you know, I'm going to be the lucky guy. Well, how were you doing all this when you didn't know English? Oh no, I knew, well, it took me at two this years. Point, yeah. Jack, at this point, I'm, I'm 20 like, years old. Oh, yeah, I thought you yeah. said from 13 to whatever age you would Yes. Oh, from 13 to 17, <clears throat> I did a bunch of theater and then 17, I went to and university. And at 13, you do English fairly fluently? Yes, I did. Okay, I did. Cool. Because I started when I was eight. Yeah. So I, I could speak well, maybe with a strong accent. <laughs> Pro yeah, probably with a strong accent. <laughs> uh, and then 17 went to train uh, 20 years old train again 22 graduated went into full-time and the way you and i got into these um roles was to wake up submit to 20 jobs and out of those 20 like maybe uh, a week i'd probably do three auditions five auditions uh, and uh, a lot of them were by myself in my room so i'd set up the camera i'd perform i'd send in the tape or going into the room so I, I was in New York at the time. I traveled to the place. <laughs> the whole experience, every actor is familiar with this. Um, and uh, occasionally I would land. My landing rate is very, very, very low. Very low. How low? Like what's, oh, dude, what's uh, the ratio on so that? So I have applied to uh, about 3,100 jobs. And it wasn't just me. It was also I had an agent who would apply on my behalf as well. So with the two of us together... We'd apply to like every chance and I was hungry enough to not care about money at all. Um, <laughs> out of the 3,100 3, applications, I landed, I'd say seven. Wow. So it was terribly what's bad. What's typical? Oh, like what well, when percentage you at, is typical? When you look at stats, so I, I, I will specify as well, landing a job is... <laughs> Barely anywhere close to a career because, like, I was on Comedy Central for one day, and uh, how should I describe? Like, okay, here's here's an idea of the seven jobs I landed, and if I was like flexing my acting achievement, they would be pretty strong. You know, people would go, "Oh, you were in Comedy Central's Aquafina's Nora from Queens." They'd be, like, "Oh, yeah, cool, good for you," but I have never made a month's rent. So, as an actor, you are expected not to make enough money to. To, to live um, and there's many stats to back me up like SAG-AFTRA actors I remember it's about 96 or 97 percent of SAG-AFTRA actors that is the professional union here in America um, 96 97 percent need another job because their acting cannot they cannot live uh, on their acting mm -hmm. uh, so having a career is like rare extremely rare to just earn and a 40k 50k a year and then being the one in a million, obviously, that is a lot, lot rarer.
Yeah. Right, right. So how were you supporting yourself through that time? Oh, that was my mom and dad. That was all yeah. my mom and dad. Yeah. Supporting actors since oh, they made a joke about this at the Oscars. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's the stereotype. Isn't it? Like my mom and dad supported me big time. And uh, it was because of them I had the time to and the energy <clears throat> to go at it as hard as I did. So if they didn't support me, I would have to like wait tables, which actually did uh, through a short period of time. But I'm really fortunate in that in that rent was covered. My mother and father paid for that, um, and most of living uh, was covered. Yeah, for like two years, and we did have some we did have some hard like conversations there um, because of the reality of it. You know, I was right. I began really starry-eyed and really delusional. <laughs> um, and uh, I remember, like, this was the moment that changed everything for me. And it's kind of when I started to go into content creation as a strategy. It wasn't a passion. It, mm -hmm. wasn't a, it was me trying to use a new media platform as a strategy to leverage against traditional. Where do um, you find the inspiration for a lot, a lot of your videos? A lot of the comedy. How, what's, the, what's the process like? Oh, there is a real... Wow, that's a great point because there is a struggle there. Um, the struggle is this, this question of, are you an artist or are you a professional? And for my whole career up until now, I've chosen the professional. Uh, and the difference between an artist and a professional to me is an artist expresses, a professional delivers. The difference is the direction. Hmm. An artist makes what they want to make. A professional makes what the audience want to see. And I've always taken that route. And that's lead to a lot of burnout. I'll give you this, the clearest example. Um, I came up with the Asian dad character, maybe 200 and some videos in. And, uh, and it was a hit. It was a massive mm -hmm. hit. And I was like, oh, dude, this is so exciting, bro. I have so many ideas because I grew up with this. So I could joke about that. I had like 20 ideas. And then I made all 20. And I ran out of ideas. You could just repeat the ideas, though. Like, that's where I, you go back to idea one, and yeah. then you just add a few sprinkles in there. I had to, so yeah. I had to do that. I had to do version twos of things that I'd already done. Yeah. I had to repeat jokes that I, I maybe add a little bit, but it was the same joke. You yeah. know, how many times can you joke about getting B in math? I've, I, I've done it maybe five, six times now, seven times. Yeah, but um, you could do A minus. Oh my God, it's so bad. Hey, ah. hey why no A plus? I, I guess this <laughs> goes back to a little bit of the a little bit of the experience thing, the audience experience. I would hate to see my favorite YouTuber do the same thing over and over mm -hmm. again. I would get bored in three, four times. Um, and so I care about that for my audience. I always try to bring fresh shock into content and never uh, re-deliver the same value. If I do make the same thing again, I try to add all brand new value in there. Um, so I made 20, I ran out of ideas. I was like, but it's not about what I want to make. It's about what they want to see. And the viewership was very, very, very obvious. Asian dad video, 10 million views. Asian dad video, 10 million views. Skit about my acting career, 100K. Asian dad video, 10 million views. So it was very, very clear what the audience wanted to see. Mm -hmm. So I, I sucked it up. I d uh, forced myself to come up with the ideas anyway. I made another 20 and I was burnt out, but I made another 20. I was burnt out, but I made another 20. And now we're like 80 skits into this character now. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, it's still that question. Do I make content I want to make 
Or do I make content people want to see? I make content people want to see. Great. That's great. been my approach. Yeah. When, you, when you say exactly that, I mm. look at what are people watching right now on YouTube? Uh, what are the trending topics? <clears throat> and I'm going to yeah. talk about that. Okay. Because at the end of the day, yeah. I make content for other people. Mm. And of course, like I like to interject my own little jokes, my own yeah. thoughts into yeah. it because that's where I have fun. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's like I'm doing it for the audience. And so I'll yeah. talk about whatever people <clears throat> want to hear about. That's great. So like I admire that and like that yeah. discipline. Like for me, side hustle and passive income videos are my yeah. least favorite. I can't stand making these videos. <laughs> but I've they, watched a lot. But, of but they consistently do well. Yes. Like over yeah. the course of a year, mm-hmm. they're my most viewed videos by like two to three times. But I just can't stand mm-hmm. making them. And a yeah. lot of it's repeated. Yeah. But people, yeah. for whatever reason, I don't want to watch the video you made a year ago on. I mm-hmm. want to see the new video today, oh, I, even though it's the same info. <laughs> I see that because, you know, I, I've yeah. seen the same sort of skits that you've done. And I'm yeah. like, I don't want to watch the old one. I want to watch the new one because oh, you grow yeah. as your audience, you know, your audience is going to yeah. grow. They're never going yeah. to look back at the old videos. They yeah. only get recommended what's in the last like few weeks. Okay. That's very fascinating. So, yeah. So anyway, it yeah. is that perspective. Uh, and I guess the best kind of advice I've heard about this this speci- uh, topic is from my friend Ian. Uh, and he mentions the way kind of he does it is he'll make two for the audience and one for himself. Hmm. Um, and I feel like that could really help in terms of creative burnout. Um, because I got to admit, like the, the writing is the hardest part. If I get scripts every day, I can make 100 videos you know, a month. Hmm. It, it, that's easy. Shooting is easy. Performing is easy coming up with the jokes is hard and in the way i work as well it is more complicated because one of my advantages that that took me past my peers is how fast i deliver value and how often i deliver value um my content is comedy skits that is my my main content and of course the value that i deliver is comedy laughs basically uh where key and peel would deliver two laughs in three minutes i would deliver 30 and that was my advantage in becoming Stephen He and outgrowing all of those channels that I studied mm-hmm. before. Um, so if I have an idea, it's not really worth anything because an idea, Asian dad goes to the grocery store. I still have to write 30 jokes and that's where I have difficulty. Oh, we've already joked yeah. about have the you, rice five times. Yeah, you know. have you thought about hiring a, a writer? I have, or like yeah, a, I have tried, just, Jesus Christ. I have never found a person who uh, who who can do it in the way this channel has been doing sure. it. Okay. Yeah. So very difficult. Walk us through your creative process. You come up uh-huh. with a video. Asian dad goes to a grocery store. Yeah. How do you like? Uh, what's the first step? Okay. Like, what is like an Asian something oh, that first happens at a grocery store? Oh, that's pretty store. easy. Uh, I write jokes. So uh, <laughs> fine. That we'll take that idea. Yeah. Asian dad goes to the grocery store. Um, I sit down on my computer and I write about thirty jokes. Uh, which oftentimes is writing like 50 and deleting 20. Um, so I would write, hey, what's funny? Uh, the fish. Oh, there's always fish at Asian stores. Let's make a joke about SeaWorld. Hey, you always wanted to go to SeaWorld there? There you go. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Let's wow. Like that's a joke. And then I go on and write another joke, another joke. And then after I write all of the jokes, I curate them uh, in like a. You string it together to create some yes, sort of and there, Yeah, and there's actually a, a massive skill in the curating as well because it's not about narrative at all. It's not about narratively stringing them together. First, we go to this section, then we go to the next section. The curation is actually about the experience. Um, so, this is where I've developed very advanced kind of ways 
um, to optimize for making the experience good. So it's not random. It's not like I'm doing banger, 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 mediocre joke, mediocre joke. No, I'm actually curating them in a way that's essentially like a DJ. I'm not mm. giving you all the beat drops up front. I'm not giving you all the beat drops behind. Um, I want the experience to be a way that I want, which is also a a um, tactic for the algorithm as well. You can call it a retention mm. tactic. Uh, yeah, and then I put the jokes in the order that I want them by selection of value. What value did it deliver? Is it a big laugh? Is it a small laugh? Is it a chuckle? And then once I have the list of 30 jokes, I use narrative to string them into a coherent uh, script. Mm. And I put in the characters I need to put in. I, I write the dialogue and uh, that's the script done. How long would that take you to do? <laughs> I have found a, I found a hack recently. Usually that take me, ah, it'll take me like 15 minutes or three days because I, I'd often uh, try to force jokes out of my head. And I have a really hard time. Like, no matter how hard I squeeze, I'm staring at the paper and I just can't think of a joke. Or other times, like the emotional damage video took me 15 minutes to write. I was like, oh, this will be cool. Wait, that'll be cool. That'll be cool. And it's done. Yeah. Yeah. Walk us through that video. That video. Oh, okay. All right. Ah, this is going to get all the views. Let's go. This is why we're here. (laughs) The emotional damage video is called When Asian is a Difficulty Mode. Um, Initially, I had... I, I was playing uh, Dark Souls. That was it. I was playing Dark Souls. And, uh, and I loved how the characters died. <laughs> you know, where the, the, it's called ragdoll physics, right? When you get hit, the character kind of like falls as if they have yeah. no bones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, dude, that's funny. I want to imitate that in real life. I wonder how, how that will look. Um, and so I was like, okay, so let's write a skit where... Um, let's write a skit where the character would like die 20 times. And, uh, and for, for the sake of, you know, delivering the audience what they want, let's put Asian dad in there. Um, and I, the, the difficulty mode I came up with was, what if, like, being Asian was a difficulty mode because it's really damn hard? You know, a lot of things are particularly hard about our culture. Um, not that we're harder than anyone else, but being called your fat every day by your mom is emotionally damaging and, and moments like that. Um, and so I went on to, okay, so we need, like, 20 deaths all right, let's try something that's funny that a character can die from. Uh, a character can die from being hit by a leaf falling from a tree. Write that down. A character can die from stepping on a stone. Write that down. Um, and one of them was, what else can a character die from before, besides physical damage? Oh, I know. Someone roasts him and he dies of emotional damage. <laughs> Write that down. And I wrote, like, I don't know how, but you got to count on the video. And many didn't even make it. So probably 20 deaths. Uh, <laughs> strung that together how am I going to put Asian down in this video obviously he's not the character that dies because right. it's a video game let's put him as the reactionary character he's the one playing uh, so the main <laughs> footage happens in game but each death I'm going to add the punchline by cutting to his reaction shot uh, he plays the game character in game dies uh, on screen we put the death emotional damage or whatever and we cut back to him he is mad he is screaming at this game because he's so annoyed um, and one of them was emotional damage. So that's how that video came about. <laughs> you, you have to say it. Emotional damage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Views for days. He, he Let's go. It. Do you have to tired of saying that? No, it's about the experience of my fans. That's lovely. It brings so that much joy. Lovely. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah. I've been waiting for you to say it. This oh, so <laughs> yeah. that is so is that one of your like most highly requested oh things gosh. during fan encounters? It's like, hey, can you say it? 
Oh, not that much, actually. Not that. Really? Sometimes people will ask that, but mostly it's for a selfie or mostly I like this about my fans because I, I've really put a lot of effort into building a connection with them. They actually have conversations with me. Like, I appreciate that more than anything because I've seen the other side. I've seen when a celebrity is viewed as a product and then every interaction was, hey, can I get a selfie? Hey, can I get a selfie? You get a selfie. Thanks. Bye. Uh. Um, and, and, you know, when you're looked at as a product, it doesn't feel so great. But thanks to, you know, the, the connection that we have, every conversation is intimate. They come up, they go, oh, my God, Stephen, you have to make this video again because my friend and I was just talking about yeah. this and this blah, blah, blah. That's a real human connection. I love that. I feel like if people looked at me like a product like they do a regular A-lister, then uh, it, it would, uh, I would be starved of human connection. Have you thought about doing Asian dad, doing cheap life hacks? Like extreme cheapskates sort of thing. Like that would be hilarious. I've oh, I'll like using you. like garbage bags yeah. as like trash bags. I, I love like, that you mentioned you that. You know, one garbage of garbage bags is trash. That's yeah. common. Yeah, it's common in yeah. a lot of cultures. Garbage bags is trash. I didn't bags. know this. I did that all the time, and then people reached you out mean for grocery bags. Sorry. Grocery bags is trash. One fifty-five. Mean the same One fifty-five. Yeah, <laughs> grocery bags is trash bags. I yeah. did that in a CNBC video, and everyone is commenting like, That's "Yo, so he does it." Like my culture does that too. I didn't yes. realize how common that is. Yes, one of the first grocery bags is trash bags. Yeah, one of the first uh, Asian culture skits I've ever yeah. made was this uh, this parody shopping channel where an Asian mother advertises used plastic containers as if it was like Gucci. It was like, come get your used Olive Garden container that can contain three lunches for your child. And it's just like a used you know, yeah. tub of, or a tub of um, cheese pots, but yeah. you finish the cheese pots. So it's, just, it's like the, the grandma thing where you have the tin of biscuits, but instead of biscuits is knitting things. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know that stereotype? Yeah, that's exactly that. So that's a great idea. Uh, I've done a lot of skits about the being cheap. That, that's, of course, one of the biggest laughing points. Yeah. Well, I've, I've written hundreds of jokes about that. Um, and also the off-brand. I love. I still to this day love making off-brand related skits. Graham has some great things that you could take away for some skits you're making yourself. Oh, oh he great! He reuses the same flosser, okay, like those gonna, dino flossers. You're gonna, you're gonna you know, <laughs> he reuses them. You have, yeah, Why do you own it? That's disgusting. Don't put it back in your pocket. <laughs> take that out. These are new pants. No, no, These no. Hold new on. Pants. Take it out. Take it out. Well, take it out. Why? Get a close-up because that thing is. It's hanging on for dear life, to be it's honest. It's fine. It it's, looks clean. Look at why is it all fringed? Don't touch man. it. I'm not. Don't, <laughs> at least he's sanitary on it. <laughs> <laughs> like don't touch it. That's the least he yeah. can do, right? I just I always keep like one on me yeah. I somewhere. I love that. I love that. Shit. How many times do you use that today? Yeah. <laughs> like after the Chipotle. Okay. Yeah. Let, let me let unreal. me add a cheap yeah. life hack of my own because I literally did this like two days ago. When you go to... Oh, my God. You're going to hate this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to love it. Wait, wait. Hold on. I'm taking, I'm taking notes. When you go to Starbucks to yeah. get your latte. Yeah. yeah oh th that's God. why I said you're going to hate this. Put my phone away. <laughs> All right. My phone's right. away. This is what I sometimes do. Uh, you, you ask for a large iced latte, right? And then you, you get the latte first. You wait till you get the latte. And then you say, oh, can I have a cup of milk? <laughs> I do the same thing. And they just you give you... the same yeah. thing? Yeah. I didn't know you yeah, you could ask for just cream on yeah, the side. They just yeah. give it and to you. And then you mix it and yeah. you have two lattes All right, effectively. So I'll be even better. You get okay. a regular black coffee. Okay. They give it to you. And then you say, oh, by the way, can I get a cup of ice? Yes. 
pour it over yeah. the ice and then say, oh, can I get like a little thing of cream or whatever you <laughs> might need? Or so you get three cups, basically. No, the little cream is like a little... Oh, it's in a little... Conti- little See, that's uh, crazy because uh, yeah. you're basically getting 300% the amount of coffee. Exactly. Like yeah. exactly. The ice takes up. Like oh, yeah. When they pour the ice in that, yeah, yeah. you're really only getting half a drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other half's water. So just right. get the normal coffee, yeah. pour it over ice, which is free. Uh-huh. Uh, there is a TikTok, too, that I've seen before that tells you how to get all the same Starbucks drinks oh my for God. cheap. By ordering them like wow. differently. Wow. Yeah. Like there's a way to order a macchiato by like getting one thing and something on the side. You know what I did with Alex? Here, uh-huh. Here's this thing. We went to a sushi restaurant. Okay. And I noticed the um, Philadelphia roll was $15. <laughs> but you could get a salmon roll for nine. And I looked okay. at that. And I'm like, wait a second. So they're charging $6 just to put cream cheese on the, on the inside of the roll. That yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So I said to Alex... I wonder if I could just get cream cheese on the side. And I asked, can I get a salmon roll mm-hmm. and just get cream cheese on the side? I'm like, how much is the cream cheese? And the guy was like, oh, I've never been asked that before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a dollar. And I'm like, okay, cool, a dollar. So he brings the cream cheese and brings the roll. So I'm in $10. Um, and I just take the cream cheese and I put it on the top of the roll. Oh, it's the same it. thing. The it's exact ex- same thing. I say $5. I never even see you ordering Philadelphia rolls. I like you, the Philadelphia. You like the cream yeah, cheese? Yeah, this yeah. one, yeah, I do like the cream cheese. This one made sense because it was a, a filling roll. I didn't want to spend the $20 on like, right, a, right, right. like a fancy one. It was yeah. like, the, get the, I wanted that smart. like for $10. Yeah, and I thought that was a yeah. good deal. Yeah. yeah. But Jeez, they don't, but they're not that. doing the math on that. Like someone should really. It's a. I they think, should. They should have charged twelve dollars for yeah. that. Yeah. Not fifteen. Yeah, but they, well, wouldn't a restaurant like try to get whatever they can? You know, they, they'll they'll up. Yeah, he, he said it. it was the first time he'd been asked that. <laughs> so I guess it nobody's kinda, thinking about exactly. it. Exactly. That, that IQ, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> when your IQ it's goes over one fifty, start sure. thinking. Start yeah. thinking of ways to. You saw that uh, the Chipotle thing though, right? Because oh, there what, was a huge on? Chipotle exploit where you go in and you get a taco. Uh-huh. And you basically load up the taco with everything they have there. So you get like the rice, the beans, the, the veggies, okay. you get the meat in there and everything. And then you ask for a side of tortilla, which is like 50 cents. Uh-huh. And you just pile the entire taco into the burrito tortilla and you overload the taco. You can get double beans, yep. double rice, double everything. Okay. You can get double chicken. And it turns out to be like three bucks. Wow. And then you just set no. it into, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or four. Are you talking about you're getting one taco? One taco. Yes. Yes. And you yeah, get yeah. double because double rice is free, double beans is free, double lettuce is free, double cheese is free, double all of that oh is free. Do they, close, the do they patch it? There's no way to I don't patch know if, it. I don't know if I don't know if they patched it, There's but no like way. I think like they still do it, but it's highly discouraged <laughs> for people to go there because like I think so. This girl she posted this TikTok, it got like 20 million views, it went super viral, oh, okay. and then there was this huge controversy because everybody started going to Chipotle using this exploit. Dude. And uh, they haven't, I don't think yeah. they've patched it because I don't know how they would. I don't know. I don't think but they like would. You, you can't get double Besides, rice, maybe? Yeah. It would have to be at their discretion to say, no, you mm. that that's too much. Yeah. Uh, but that, but you that's go the in and get, you know, $3 burritos or whatever yeah. it was. And wow. yeah. So I tried a life hack recently. Okay, uh, okay. Panda Express apparently okay. oh, boy. used to, if you show up 15 minutes before closing, give you discounted food. Or you would be oh, able to okay. get like multiple meals for the price of one because yes. otherwise they throw it out. Yeah, yeah. So I went to a few Panda Expresses. One of them offered, I think it was like 15 or 20% off on the meal cool. as okay. just a courtesy, sort of like, we don't really do this, but if you want to. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the other one, the lady uh, ended up watching the channel and she sent me a message afterwards on Twitter saying, hey, I couldn't really explain this in the store, but we used to do this. And 
it, we ended up having issues because people would show up right at closing I mean, yeah, and we'd, we'd mm. have to cook food right before closing. A lot of it would go to waste mm. or a lot of employees would purposely like cook up extra food just to be able to take it home. Yeah. So they stopped that. But they used to do it. Interesting. Oh, no. yeah. Yeah, because I do know about the, the waste thing. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah, they, they like, throw the food away. Yeah, bakeries as well. Like, yeah. that must be terrible. Bakeries right. are incredible. There's this bakery in my hometown. Mm. All the high schoolers knew about it. You can go in and ask for the day-old donuts. It was oh. this, like, drive-through donut restaurant. Yeah. And you, you go in, and they give you, like, a box of, like, 16 donuts. Whatever they have. It's, like, a mixture of donuts in a bag, donuts uh-huh. in a box. It's just, like, this huge, oh, like... It's like the leftovers. Exactly. Basically. It's, like, this donut cone of cornucopia they just smart. like smart yeah and, and you that. go and you give them yeah. and you're like how much today and they're like eh, four bucks like you know no, they're, they're just holding that number yeah exactly yeah. out of nowhere and you go wow. and you get like 16 donuts it's Dude, crazy it's a this. great deal yeah i love it's amazing this. i yeah. love it yeah. i would love to see more restaurants and places doing that of the food that they're mm-hmm. going to throw away anyway i thought but I, it, I have heard like pret for example when i was in london uh they used to Fresh make all the sandwiches in the morning, and at the end of the day, they would give anything left to a homeless shelter. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, completely free. Everything. That's good. And so they never have leftovers, essentially, after I closing. think some of the high-end restaurants feel like it yeah. devalues their food. Because I remember, who was it that we had on? Joshua Weissman mm-hmm. said that he was all, you wouldn't believe the amount of waste in some of yeah. those restaurants. I like saw that the, short. I've actually yeah. seen yeah. the short. Yeah, yeah, because they, I mean, if you're cutting like some crazy baseball steak cut, right? Mm-hmm. Like all of the trimmings that go around that, mm-hmm. they just get tossed. And this is on like super nice meat, yeah, too. Crazy. They just, yeah, it's just a cost of doing they don't business. don't use it in any other No. Way. Nothing. No. Damn. Oh, sometimes you uh, say they would, grind, they would grind yeah. it and do maybe yeah, side dishes. Yeah. But a lot of the times the food just goes uh, to waste. Yeah, all the trimmings. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Okay, let's go back to comedy because I have okay, a question. Man. Sure, sure. What do you think about the current climate of comedy? People kind of mm-hmm. trying to tiptoe around certain jokes and everything. Because yeah. I noticed you, you very much lean into like the whole Asian stereotype and everything. Mm-hmm. Do you ever feel like you could be like talking about something that's like really sensitive mm-hmm. or I don't know, like being insensitive towards Asian stereotypes, which well, it's, um, people are cautious about. It's intention. Intention is the most important thing. What are you trying to do? Are you trying to uh, lightly satirize in a, in a friendly way, in a loving way, and to share your culture with the rest of the world? Or do you have negative intentions? That is the answer to your question. It's intention. Um, <laughs> because I come from China, I... I don't have the upbringing of an American where I've noticed, and I respect this because I know it comes from a place of protecting yourselves and hurt. I have seen the the Asian accent, <laughs> I have seen the Asian accent being kind of villainized by experiences of bullying, of racism, of people who would use the way we are against us who would do that kind of um, racist making fun of Asians in a negative way. And as a result, I see in the United States, this obviously is not in China, but in the United States, that is where the negative rep for our accent comes from. Uh, But it would be an absolute shame to let the bullies take that from us. It would be an absolute shame. The real loss here would be if we are convinced that we are lesser because of the way we are. No, no, no. We should wear ourselves, wear our culture proudly. We should, it's totally fine to be who they are, to speak the way we speak. Don't let the bullies take that from us. If you're Asian, wear it proudly. 
because damn, I love being Asian. <laughs> so intention, it's intention. What if, let's yeah. just say hypothetically, right? There's a guy, yeah. he goes, he understands Asian culture. Mm -hmm. He's super excited. He thinks yeah. like, oh, these are funny juxtapositions, this like Asian uh -huh. stereotype to this like white yeah. American stereotype or whatever, but he's white yes. and he goes and he makes a joke. What do you think about that? Oh, then now, now because his intention, what yeah. if his intention is good? Yes. Right? Like he just thinks it's a funny thing and yeah. maybe he'll take bashes on one side and yeah. bashes on this side. Yeah. Now we're talking about different cultural moments now. Um, I am very new in the United States and I'm not fully educated on the culture here, but I can tell you this. If that white guy went to China and told that same joke to Chinese people from China, with fully positive intent and it's an actual funny joke we'd love it but i'm not going to comment on american culture because that i'm not fully educated in i know americans yeah. can be very sensitive there was yeah. this like youtube short that uh -huh. was scrolling i deleted tiktok i'm not on tiktok anymore okay. but of course i kind of migrated to youtube shorts i gotta yeah. shut that down spending way too much time on it <laughs> yeah. there's this Same, youtube short yeah. and it was this guy yeah. and he was walking around to it was like a, a university campus and he mm. was wearing like a like a Asian or Chinese, like, yeah. you know, like the hat. Yes, I don't know. Like a, I, like I've a, actually seen the exact video you're talking about. I've seen the video. I'll show you the video. And he goes around to these people. He's like a just a normal looking white guy, but yeah. he's, what do you call like a kimono or something? Uh, uh, well, the female version is called a qipao. I don't know what the, the male version is called. But he's wearing the, the, the yes, rice the farmer hat. The traditional, yeah, the, tr uh, the rice farmer hat. Yeah, you could call it a rice farmer hat. Is that hat. right? Yes. <laughs> is that bad to say? Is that bad to say? Is that people? No, it's not right. People do wear it to farm rice. That's what I thought. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. okay. So he's going around to university campuses yeah. and he's like, he's all, do you find this offensive mm -hmm. to, to American students? None of which yeah. are Chinese. And yeah. they're all like, uh, are you Asian? And he's all, no. And they're like, yeah, I would say so because you don't understand their culture. You don't understand mm -hmm. what they've been through. That's highly offensive that you'd be yeah. wearing their clothes when you're white. Yeah. And he does this. And then he goes to Chinatown where like he's speaking to people that hardly know English, like uh -huh. very Chinese people, yeah. you know, like they probably migrated here yeah. in the past like 15, 20 years. And he's all, do you find this offensive? And they're like, no, I love it. This is great. We, we I, love, we love to see that you're you know, experiencing yes. our culture. You're trying to um, yeah. immerse with us. And uh, yeah. Um, one thing I would hate to do here is to throw a negative view on anything because I, as with my limited view of American culture, I must respect those who are, who come from a good place. Uh, and and I, there are many people not Asian people who may like do that, who may say, oh, you can't do that out of a place of love and respect. And that is, I, I very, very much appreciate that. Um, yeah. Whereas uh, how we think versus how they think, it may be different. Like if, it, I don't know if you know about this, in China, <laughs> Chinese people love white people who can speak Mandarin as well as we can. Oh, we met up with Xiao yeah. um, Ma. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, in yeah. New York. They're like on we, TV. We went there. Like, we went to Chinatown. Yeah. And we got we boba. Ordered, yeah, uh, we ordered boba. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, do the thing. Do the, <laughs> do thing. the thing. And he orders it. And you just see her face. Yeah. She lit up. We she was so it. happy. Yeah. It was the same it. reaction in person as uh -huh. you see in his videos. Yeah. Because I was like, like, no cameras were on. No it cameras. Was a great moment. It was a highlight of my trip to see her face light up when you yeah. spoke. I think it was, yeah. was it Mandarin? Yeah, it was Mandarin. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that, she yeah. was like, I thought I knew you because yeah, yeah, she recognized Oh, no too. way. Yeah. That's even better. Yeah, it was yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It was so cool, but it was it sounded amazing. It was yeah. like a mm -hmm. beautiful language. And he was just like, just 
going back and forth with her. It's yeah. just like, oh man. Yeah, of course. We love that. We love that. And in the this is the opposite perspective. It's true as well. I I came here and um, out of absolute love and respect, I assimilated to the United States. I even changed my accent to speak the way I do now. And I think if one comes from a place of respect and love and absolutely no negativity, I don't think there's anything wrong with it myself. Yeah, That's, that's what really, I think. I think yeah. I, I'm similar to you in that. It's yeah. like, although I'm a pretty insensitive person, I don't take offense to many things personally, mm-hmm. whatever things I subscribe to religions or, you know, based off uh-huh. my physical appearance and stuff like that. I'm generally not very sensitive, okay. but I respect the people that are sensitive to those mm-hmm. things because I'm a firm believer. It's all about intention and not outcome. Absolutely. And if their yeah. intent yeah. is to protect certain people, that's totally fine. Do I think it's a, an effective solution to mm-hmm. it? Maybe not, oh, the, but I respect the, yeah. their in, intention there. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. I think so. sometimes like to be completely fair and honest, if you're like defending certain people that you're not a, a part, part of whatever of, uh, like you're also kind of in a sense uh, like agreeing that there is an issue there in the first place you're kind of validating the stereotype yeah, that is, i'm Whereas, very new to that i haven't seen that in any other nation before uh, yeah not, not it's it, like you can't make fun of this certain group of people yeah, yeah. because like the, when you make fun of them like the 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 strikes or whatever, the cuts, they dig deep. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, you're kind of only the person here that's assigning validity yeah. to the statement. This is clearly an exaggeration of a stereotype. Mm-hmm. That's where the comedy comes in. It's not like you're just saying something is blatantly the way that it is and that's funny. No, you have to exaggerate a stereotype. Yeah, you know? that, that is uniquely to the United States. Like, um, there, are, there are a few occasions of that coming from the heart in other countries, like the UK, like Ireland, where I was... Um, but I do see, uh, I do see, like for example, people who comment on my videos calling me racist. I don't quite understand that. <laughs> that is a different story. Racist towards who? Exactly towards myself. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> what? No. So uh, yeah, it, it might be as you described. They have kind of taken something that could be originally good intent into something that is a bit overboard but uh but then again i must admit i don't know much about american culture to um form a, a valuable opinion especially i don't know enough about the the experience of an asian american because um i i you know i respect everything they went through and now i i might even immigrate and become asian american myself um even though the way we are uh, w- with some pc culture the way we are here now it could have come from a place of hurt. It could have come from a place um, of protecting themselves. And, and for that reason, I, I don't know enough to comment at the moment. I just respect their experiences and I'll learn more about it. What's the oddest thing that you find about American culture that you think is weird? Oh, ah. Oh, it's on the large scale and on the small scale, let me think. Well, okay, so on the small scale, individual yeah. things like, like American health insurance. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's pretty fair. obvious That's one. fair. Yeah. Uh, how how much meat people leave off of chicken bones? <laughs> how a uh, chicken wing bones that bothers me. That bothers me. Yeah. Well, I take uh, offense to that. <laughs> I don't leave any meat. You know, you know what's funny? <laughs> that, <laughs> I'm that person. I leave a lot of meat what? on that bone. No way. That yep. is very uncharacteristic. Because, exactly. Yeah. It's not though because I get weirded out anytime a meat's on oh, the that's bone. True. It it looks yeah. too much like the animal. 
and I get weirded out by that. Oh, so I, I will see. eat only like the the if I see like a vein or I anything going through that. that, I can't eat it. Oh, I see. He doesn't so, like, like eating stuff that is connected to bones. Yeah, yeah. Or we did, we oh, okay. veins, yeah. tissue, fat. I yeah. can't skin. I can't eat it. Yeah, it's okay. got to be the pure meat itself removed from the bones. So gotcha. Like a and, like, nugget or a, sl- uh, or a cut. Yeah. A cut. There's, of yeah, yeah. There's probably yeah. some word for people like that because yeah. that has to be some sort of a common thing, right? Scared of eating meat attached to bones. I'm not scared of it. I get weirded out. I I, I do relate yeah. in some cases. Yeah. I do relate. I, I like. I remember one, remember once um, I was eating crab and it was the whole crab. Oh yeah. yeah. And you had to break oh, the legs yeah. off. That's yeah. a little. Weird. I I could deal with that. Believe it. Uh, yeah. I did feel a bit weirded out. So I do I do understand you. Yeah. Um, Soft shell crab is kind of freaky. If you've <laughs> ever had. Oh, that. you know what? I got that last night. It's I a went to only eat sushi. Yeah. They brought it for free. And so I couldn't not eat it. And how was that? Dude, I have, uh, I have it was, um, it weirded me out because you could see the, the pincher at the front. Mm, yeah. And it was like the arm yeah. to the pincher. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, mm, I don't like the idea mm. of it. I don't like it, but I ate it. It tasted good, yeah. but it's a little too crunchy and it's the idea. It feels like the animal. Yeah. yeah. For me, it's sad because you're like eating the entire being. You know what I mean? That's Whereas good. other things like, that, well, sure. But when I eat like a piece of salmon nigiri, I'm like, wow, this is, you know, 2% of a salmon. So yeah. I'm probably fine. You know what I mean? But like, this is like the entire existence of this animal is <laughs> yeah. in my mouth. You know what I mean? Oh, it seems wow. like the, it's, it's a very fleeting yeah. thing. Like the, it's just gone after yeah. a couple bites. Whereas I salmon see. Can be enjoyed yeah. More. Oh, that's a, that's a different experience from when I, I remember growing up in the, in the local home that we used to be at, um, where, my grandma and grandpa were farmers, um, n- not in the modern sense with all the machines. Like they were, <laughs> they were, you know, hoeing things mm-hmm. in the in the yard. Uh, <laughs> and as kids, we often went and visited grandma, and grandpa, and we played with the chickens that ran around, and then we ate it for dinner. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's really? true. That's true. Yeah. How was that for you, man? Was that sad? <laughs> Is it harder for you to connect with animals because you'd like play with them and then eat them? <laughs> <laughs> That sounds old. Yeah. Dude, it's, that's what we do. We eat animals. It's it's strange putting in a but I but, uh, but we don't play with them. I feel like that <laughs> I, I have a connection and a bond. Yeah. And I don't want like if I if yeah. I play with an animal, I can't. That, it's that's an interesting right. I don't want to know it. Yeah. yeah. Uh you do you do like disassociate a little bit after food security and things like that. But you know, if we went back to days where you had to hunt to eat, uh then I suppose you would connect more with the act of hunting or the act of farming and raising animals. Um, so yeah, like if, for example, I bet my next generation, if I have kids and they grew up in like this environment where they don't have to kill a chicken, uh, they would probably be squeamish as well. So yeah, it's, I think it's a matter of um, the, the security of the food. If you need to do that, if it is normalized by your culture, um, things like that. Hmm. Yeah, so that's totally cool. No, it's totally cool for for all, everyone. Wow. Well, going back to you, mm-hmm. how is your business broken down now? Uh, wow, this is such a great yeah. question. <laughs> my my business now is mainly YouTube. Uh, the videos, the comedy skits we make are like the the front running IP. They're the most important thing. I have other channels that make reactionary content. Uh, where I repurpose things into short form content. Um, they aren't huge. They aren't, they're not huge, especially the reaction to content that's actually currently losing money. Mm. And we do have to put in a lot of, uh, research into, all right, how do we, so what's the, what's the point of it if it's losing money? 
it serves to build that connection for those who want it. And that's okay. very important to me, sure. you know. Okay. Um, and also, I do want to make it a profitable uh, event or a profitable side of the business. So I will invest time and a lot of research. Like this week, um, I'm doing the research. I'm asking people who are, who are specialists in the, the realm of algorithm and making videos um, how I can optimize in order to get enough views to not lose money. Um, so I am making making that uh, that advancement there. But the bigger picture is I I have a like a journey that I want to take on of making cinematic content fully profitable in-house. So I have been a part of the traditional industry like film and TV for for a while and I, I kind of understand how things work. Um, I have pitched shows to <laughs> executives and that's the part I didn't like. You know, you're at the mercy of a couple of people um, and they get to decide what gets made, what doesn't. And so I took that like, I'm tired of begging for a job. I'm tired of begging to make what I want to make. Let's see if I can do it myself. So essentially becoming the studio that funds it and becoming the distributor that monetizes it. Obviously, our YouTube videos, every every uh, YouTuber has a career. We already do this with our videos. But there are very few who can do it in the form of cinematic filmmaking. You know, when we when we look at this business model, we, we think of Mr. Beast and mm -hmm. all of that. And that's because of all their tactics work extremely well in competing for the algorithm. So if I bring on cinematic filmmaking, I'm at a massive disadvantage. Um, I do not have access to those tactics and devices that they use. So how do I innovate? How do I create something that can compete um, so that my piece of cinematic filmmaking content can get your eyes as opposed to a Mr. Beast video or as opposed to a cat video or mm -hmm. one of those? <clears throat> uh, so that's the innovation. We've had two tries so far. The first try is a big collaboration uh, back in April. And the, the collaboration was a large part of it, of what tactics can I use to... Um, to elevate this beyond my regular videos. Mm -hmm. um, I invited a lot of my friends who are huge creators in the, uh, in the Asian community of YouTube. Um, together, we shot three comedy sketches in one day, which is amazing. The set was run incredibly well, and it was a traditional production. We did employ 15 people. We did uh, put a budget into this. It was my personal budget. Um, uh, we ended up... Being quite successful, we took a unique achievement of holding trending six, seven, and one simultaneously in the United States. Uh, till this day, I believe I'm the only one who's ever done that. Wow. <laughs> Three spots wow. in top ten trending, including number one. Did um, you release them all like right at the same time? Yes, I gave one video to. Oh, I, I gave um, the set to uh, my friends as well so that the three comedy skits would be on three different channels launching at the same time. Wow. And we basically sent our viewers to each other's channels. Uh, financially, it worked out. It, it really did work out. Uh, and that's what showed me, okay, so I can employ 15 people, um, use cinematic con uh, uh, equipment like cinema cameras, cinema lenses, and do things that look good, you know, uh, have a lighting team, have all that, and be able to make profit if I innovate on the retention tactics, on the things that matter in the algorithm. Um, and a bunch of other tactics that is surrounding it as well, like outside, you know, like um, using our uh, using a promotional strategy 
that is very rare. Like when you think of YouTuber videos, we don't really promote our videos. Mm -hmm. At most, we'll share a story about it. But when nine of the biggest in the community come together and make peripheral content that kind of let people know we're, we're coming together, we're doing this, this massive thing, it's amazing, um, then that drew more people to the thing. And so the next attempt is currently still ongoing. It's a show called Ginormal. Ginormal, a play on the word ginormous. Yeah. And it is a parody of a 1970s Japanese kaiju show. Kaiju show being Godzilla, Power Rangers, big monsters fighting big mecha. Um, and we're a parody of it. So we're making fun of how, how bad those were back yeah. then, basically. Uh, and this, we are um, innovating again with a lot of new tactics and going much, much bigger. Now it is a six-episode actual scripted narrative series um, with nine <laughs> amazing creators who are, who are great friends of mine and who happen to be more professional than most actors I've ever worked with. So I got really lucky there. Um, and now the challenge is how do we take that property, and we have invested a lot of our own money into it, and make it profitable and not lose money. Um, yeah, so this try, we'll see what happens. If we manage to succeed, I can go bigger and bigger until I achieve that business model to be able to be the whole operation in-house. What's the cost of like the budget for that first film when you shot the three different oh, skits? That was $10,000 for the day. So it wasn't... That's not that that's not bad, bad It's all. not that bad. Yeah. For three full-on videos, a yes. camera, a team of 15 people, yes. collaborations with a You know why? Of- it's because we did a lot of innovating. We did a lot of, okay, let's take a look at the way a traditional set has been done. How do we save time on lighting? How do we save time on sound? In fact, I ran, I single-handedly ran the entire sound department. Oh, um, wow. So you're, you're, you're a good audio guy. Uh, I'm not a good... <laughs> <laughs> I know people are going to watch the video now and go, Jesus, sounds terrible. <laughs> it's because I read it. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not an audio guy, but I do have that. I do have the, the scrappiness of no matter what it is, let's get it done. Yeah. I'll get it done. I don't know a thing about audio. The night before, I was up till 3 a.m. sorting the mics that I just rented that I had no clue how to use and reading the manual. Um, so, yeah, how do we create like 50K worth of value with 10K? That is a very key part of the business mm. model. And then on Ginoma, I learned a lot as well. And we used, uh, we used things that are never seen in traditional Hollywood. We were very behind. And I think in the last three days, we needed to shoot... <laughs> A lot. We need to shoot like 80 pages. I need to check if, if that's the specific number. But we need to shoot way more than was possible. And if you look at, if you ask any traditional set, that's ridiculous. 80 pages in three days. Um, we ended up effectively tripling our productivity by building and operating three sets at the same time. Hmm. And we had, I'm not a director on the show, but I'll go direct the green screen set. You know, you go direct this. That person will take care of that. Um, so with tactics like this and a couple more, uh, we managed to get it done. And that's a very large part of the business. I feel like in the future, I'll have a lot more to innovate so that I can deliver you a product that looks like it costs $10 million for hundred K and it can, wow. I bet it can be done. I already own the cameras that shoot yeah. Oscar winners. Uh, so it, I know it can be done. It just has to, you know, someone has to come and figure out how. <laughs> wow. So what's your team look like now? My team is very small. Yeah. Uh, my team is very small. I have two editors that work with me all the time. And um, most others on my team are like the management level. So they negotiate deals. Sure. They procure opportunities, things like that. And that's my team. Yeah, I have, I hope people very small. Um, I do have that spirit of 
YouTuber, I'll do everything myself. You know, I don't know how to edit. I'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to write. I'll figure it out. What percentage of humans do you think are good natured? All of them. Uh, and Every single. And that is a, that is a really dangerous statement. Uh, but I have, there, there's this old Chinese proverb, which I really began to understand recently. And, uh, and it means a lot to me. And it's called And it describes... <laughs> I'm just laughing at all the mm. way people could like... Uh, people could judge me. <clears throat> but it means um, all humans are born kind. Even though the experiences of humans can be different, our nature is the same. Uh, <clears throat> that's a very, very thousands of years old Chinese proverb. Mm. Um, and it's kind of like this, this concept that we are what the world has shaped us to be. Um, and a lot of the times, it's not people's fault the way they are. When, you know, a world, the world could have put something on them and made them into something that we receive as negative. Um, and it has helped me to go a long way to understand. That is one thing uh, I've had a, a growth as a person. Like before, I obviously, like with my experiences, I faced bullies. And there are many moments where I, where I would um, hate people. Mm. Uh, but after understanding that proverb, it's, it's like an acceptance. It's like, yeah, sure, you might have caused me harm, but you are the way you are because of every moment you have lived, because of where the world put you. Um, so I can't really blame you for what you harmed me. You're, you know, a victim of your surroundings too, if it's bad. Uh, so yeah, that is my answer to that question. So you don't <coughs> think that there could be someone out there though, that's born just naturally evil. Uh, that's a really good question because, uh, that steps a line between belief and science. Uh, and uh, I, I kind of, I, I saw a little bit towards science. So the second you ask that, my brain goes to because hormones, every, chemicals. That chemicals, kind of yeah. yeah. Certain people are born, obviously, with like different mental disorders, stability, yes. stuff like that. Yes. Just certain synapses not firing yeah. in their brain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure that there are some that probably can are somehow commingled with human nature, right? Yes, like a good that, nature, that are wired right? differently to exactly. how we consider as kind. Oh, well, when you put it in that perspective, then it does make sense to me that certain humans, certain humans can be born with a biology that is different. Uh, I accept that. Yeah, I accept that. I th I'm a firm believer that like 99% of the people that we consider evil or yeah. like bad doers yeah. aren't actually like a part of that population that are born evil, mm -hmm. but they're just people like you said that are subjects to their yes. surroundings or yes. victims to their surroundings, right? Yeah. And that has kind of crafted them into who they are. Yes. Um, but I do definitely think that there is a statistic there that yeah. are probably just naturally born. Oh, I can see. I know what you mean. Yeah. But I think it's a very, very, very yeah, minute yeah. group yeah. of people. Right. Mm -hmm. And of the amount of people that we ascribe the word evil to, uh -huh. I think it's like hardly even a statistic within that. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Then then I see what you mean, that that the the biology of a person can be born with a difference that we consider evil. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I can understand that. I love the perspective, though, the open-mindedness perspective. That's kind mm. of an epiphany I've been having over the past, probably at this point, six months, okay. where I'm like trying to understand why people that I just inherently disagree with yeah, yeah. do the things that they do. Yeah. And I kind of have come to the realization, similar to what you said, that they're just a product of whatever the environment that they grew up in. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I grew up in a completely different environment, and I'm a product of that environment. Yeah. And I just have to understand that, similar to what Tom Bilyeu was saying, mm-hmm. um, you see life through a lens. And mm-hmm. the longer you live your own life, the more obscured your lens yeah. gets and your perspective of reality is more obviously twisted. Right, more with your unique view. Exactly. Yeah. And you just have to understand that everybody has a lens. Yes, oh, see that understanding helps a lot, helps a lot. Mm-hmm. It, it dissolves the anger I used to have, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it dissolves the negativity I used to have, you know, the, the way that you can look at world very negative, the world very negatively because things have happened to you and because other people have harmed you. Um, but now with the understanding of, oh, it, it's an understanding in general, with understanding, um, it helps you be a better person where you are. It helps you make decisions that are not to give hate back to someone, but to improve yourself and uh, to bring value to the world. Yeah, so it's a very helpful thought. Interesting question hmm. and very deep. <laughs> I don't mind that. What do you think is the biggest threat to humanity? Wow. There are too many. There are too many. <laughs> oh, just right off the top of my head, uh, disease, um, uh, a pot, like, like weather and, and the earth. And there's, there's just so many things that could go wrong with our environment, you know, uh, from extremely quick things like a meteor to, <laughs> yeah. to, to longer things like resources running out or if, just, if something just changed, we no longer have sunlight, we're in trouble. If we, no longer, if we lost water, we're in trouble. There's so many things that go on there. Um, I'm very fascinated by the whole AI thing. That is a very popular mm-hmm. answer for the end of humanity. <laughs> I don't know how it would lead to the end of humanity, but like I guess all well. the films, all the films basically go Terminator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Terminator. will think they're better than humans and end human. That's like yeah. everyone goes mm-hmm. there. Uh, I, I don't know if that'll ever be true. Um, AI, what, what could it do that would? I can't understand the film perspective, right? Because it kind of makes sense. Oh. If if we craft AI to be the best living life form it can be and it goes oh humans are are, are throwing it dragging us back then yeah fair i can see that <laughs> but i wonder how else ai can affect human can <clears throat> affect humans that that might be the answer i've had this i've had this mental thought for a while i'm intrigued by the concept of evolving into a being that is like an AI, that is immortal, that is not a, a um, that is not in this mortal coil, but can live as long as we want and can uh, improve ourselves by adding, you know, capabilities. Um, and and the, the thought is like, how do we integrate with machine? Um, and, I, and the thought is kind of like, yeah, if you copy your brain, <laughs> sure, you have another version of you that's running around and you, yeah. you can pretty much say it is you. But your fleshy brain is still going to die <laughs> like regular. <laughs> and I came up with this idea. Hey, what about if you replace it one by one? Because then you're in the grandfather's ship paradox, right? Each year, you just swap out 1% of your brain for a machine. And then the next year, 1%. Next year, 1%. Mm-hmm. So you never really stop being you. And you never really start being the machine. That's you're always you. Then you wonder what defines humanity at yeah. that point. You That's going to be a big question. 50%. 
50%. There we go. <laughs> the grand answer is right yeah. smack in the middle. 50% robot. Or man the machine. That's yeah. it. That's it. If you're more, if you're 51 one way or another, wow. then it's like you it get is. a passport. I'm still human. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 51% still counts. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. I, I like to think that um, it can be what we want it to be. We have the power of the choice. We can decide to, to go back into what humanity always was, or we can decide to change humanity into a new thing. I, I, like, to, I like to believe that's our decision. Like yeah, fascinating thoughts. Very fascinating thoughts. Is there anything uh, else you want to discuss? I wanted to tell all the off-friend stories of going back in China. Please do. They I will mean, be... When, whatever you want to revisit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I did. I told a lot of stories. Yeah. And I think they would be the, the, the clips that go viral. You, know, you could always funny. roast me as the uh, Asian dad. <laughs> I, I don't just, have my costume. Dad, man, I didn't bring my costume. You could just go in heavy on me. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I actually, yeah. I, I'm actually very impressed by, by your frugalism. Um, uh, because uh, I, th th oh, there's a weird perspective now. Um, w growing up, <laughs> as a kid even, I felt this, that, that you would look down on frugalism, right? Because you have this whole nation of people who's not used to having money, suddenly has money, and now there is the insecurity of, I don't want to be seen as poor. And that insecurity kind of manifests into, uh, if someone is frugal, you might look down upon them. Like I had this personal experience that I very, very, very much regret now. But back then, you know, I was a product of my my society as well, where uh, we go to make my my grandma and I. Uh, you know, wait, actually, I should tell that story. I'm gonna tell one story, and this okay. is what the sound is gonna be great. So I remember uh, I was young. I was like five. I was like four or five, with my mom in China at the time, um, and my mom all of a sudden. This was like right when things blew up. My mom said, uh, "Hey, we're gonna take uh, we're gonna take you guys to a five star experience." <laughs> and me and my friend, it was like a play date. Me, me and my friend, <laughs> and both our moms. Uh, and she was like, "Guys, we're gonna go to this like amazing. This is, we're going above the budget this time, okay?" And that uh, we were hype, we were hype, and mm -hmm. we went to this restaurant um, that was so new, and we were told like, "This is." Uh, this is the international th exotic, this is the American stuff, right? This is from America. And to us, I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. America's great because we really look up to America, you know? Uh, and so like, wow, we're experiencing what, is, uh, what things are like there. And I remember I had like the best meal. I, had, I enjoyed it so much and I never eat any food like it. It wasn't rice. It wasn't, you know, the things I'm used mm -hmm. to eating. Uh, and then there was a playground and we'd like went on a swing. I don't know if I've ever been on a swing before. Uh, and it, <laughs> we had a blast of a time and it was a McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? If you haven't had it before, it's yeah. delicious. It, I think it was the first McDonald's in Shenzhen. And I remember it so fondly, wow. so fondly. That, I'm that, surprised it wasn't an off brand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are many, many yeah. came up immediately afterwards, but I always had McDonald's this. instead. Yeah, yeah McDonald's. Mac McDonald's. McDonald's. <laughs> I've probably reviewed yeah. like 10 in yeah. my channel. Um, and I always kept that experience. Then KFC came in. Oh my God, it was the best thing ever. We would go hang out there if you weren't even eating. Even if like. Just a hangout spot? Yeah. Even if, like you had lunch, but you still go, you get wow. like an ice cream sundae. You were the cool kid. You know, <laughs> it was wow. the spot. Um, and then I remember this. Oh, it was such a visceral experience. My first time coming to the United States, I came into Penn Station 
New York and I saw the KFC sign. I was like, oh, there's my place. Let's mm. go. I was so disappointed, bro. No. <laughs> I was so disappointed. It was dirty. The floor was greasy. There was one person running the shop and What? it was stained and rusted. And the food didn't taste nearly as good as I remembered. So that was a massive paradigm oh, shift. I had man. always had this idea. Wow. And then Penn Station crushed it for me. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> You've gotten it since then, right? Yeah. I got a bit. It's not any KFC or McDonald's I've had in the United States is nothing like the experience K I had in China. KFC's also gone all downhill, to be completely honest. <laughs> I, I ate it a little bit as a kid and it was yeah. really good, but I've gone yeah. recently. It's just, mm. it's I wonder not as what's good going anymore. on. Bring, bring it back, man. In fact, I'll go to, back to China just to have KFC. <laughs> it's so great over there. That would be actually really interesting comparing mm. the oh, difference yeah. of like, it's staggering, bro. Of it's, KFC there and KFC here. And it's also off-brand yeah. KFC. Yeah. That would be interesting. I got like a good review in off-brand KFC. That would be that hilarious. Would be that would be a really good video. Yeah. Yeah. People would be very curious to see what the differences are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, uh, some of them are so good, though. Some of them are so good. You might as well go to that rather than the real uh, one. Was there, like, elitism when it came to, like, being a consumer of a real KFC versus a fake one? Like, if you go to school... <laughs> a fake one? <laughs> Not fake. No, no, okay, sorry. Like a replica KFC. Yeah, like a replica KFC, because you were saying there's a lot of off-brands. So yeah. when you show up to school, yeah. like, does someone, oh, you have a McDonald's burger, not a McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have, you have Illinois fried chicken. I got Kentucky fried chicken. From my experience, everybody loved the off-brands. Okay. Yeah. It might, we might have even loved it more than the wow. actual thing. Okay. Yeah, we loved it. There was an intimacy there, you know. KFC felt corporate, which isn't a bad thing. We still enjoy the experience. But the off-run KFC was run by like heart. a mom and pop. You yeah, know, yeah. they Aww. were in the back frying the chicken and they came to the front to do your order. Um, so everyone loved it. Huh. I, I definitely loved that. That's cool. Yeah. So stories from China. Oh, Jeez. makes me happy just telling these stories. How hard would it be to visit, revisit China? Would it be easy for you now? Is it? I believe so. I believe so because I, I am going back uh, to see family this year, later this year. Uh, I haven't been in a while, actually. I, I do feel Chinese culture moves really fast. I've noticed this uh, ever since I came to the West. Like, I'll leave for two years and then I'll, I'll get in contact with my Chinese friends. And all of a sudden, I don't know what people are saying. There's new catchphrase coming up. There's new expressions Uh, the new hot thing has changed. You know, people wear different clothes now. People play different games now. So I have felt like you can lose touch very fast. Mm -hmm. um, and now I do, I do feel when I go back to China, I don't know any of the popular movies. I don't know any of the you know, popular activities people do. Um, that's, there's a weird like feeling like I'm an outsider now. Uh, but oh, well, I, I'm an immigrant. So I guess that, that kind of, that's fair. Huh. <laughs> and... As a kid growing up in China, mm. how was the general quality of life there? Because it, oh, you said there all the yeah. the pressures that the kids uh -huh. see. I also heard I don't know what it was from, but I think it was like a, a clip from a podcast where they were saying that I don't want to say the word, but like when you uh, end your own life, those rates are extremely high. I don't know if the statistic is true. Uh, in certain situations where the child is facing a ton of pressure from their parents to perform well and they feel inadequate. Was uh, the general quality of life and consensus amongst kids in China good, positive? Yes. Yes. Because when I think back on my life, and I, I don't know, I guess you could call me an average kid until I, until I immigrated. My memories are good. 
I could also be lucky in the way that the academics came easy to me, like math and all that came easy to me. Um, but I do remember things were very good. I remember appreciation was the thing. And that's a very interesting concept I've, I've uh, kind of realized talking to other peoples of international uh, origins. Um, and it's kind of like the glass half empty, glass half full question. It's, there is a definitive answer. It is the journey from where you came. So like the definitive answer of that question is if you have a full glass and you pour half of it out, it is now half empty. If you have an empty glass, you fill half of it, it is now half full. So how that relates to us is for my grandpa, grandma, my mom and dad and me to come from a, a time where it was difficult to eat to a time where everyone had clothes and, and we're like, we've got school to go to and we got books to read and we can eat whenever we want. To me being born, uh, and my life was absolute luxury. I could eat meat every day. Like this is, oh, people understate this, but it was a big deal. It was a very, very big deal that I can eat meat every day. And the fact that I got some mass on me, I'm not skinny. Um, that was a great thing that we very, very much appreciated. So my memory growing up is my grandma would sing songs in the kitchen about the government because, you know, she had food and all of this great things that um, like people in a better situation may take for granted. Uh, and so I, I think that answers that question. It's mm. because we have seen such great growth and such great progress that we really appreciate everything we had. And we were happy. <laughs> I was happy anyway. Uh, yeah, of course, my experience doesn't, uh, doesn't speak for everyone's experience, but I, it's I was happy. It's an interesting happy. analogy. Yeah. Yeah. That's where you come from. Yeah. Mm. Cool. I like it. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate it. I very much enjoyed this. this. Yeah, this is that was legendary. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, man. Right. I can't <laughs> believe I'm going to be yeah. on your channel. Wow, yeah, that's crazy. We to it, yes, we did it. All right, we man. Thank it. you. No emotional Thank damage. you guys no so <laughs> much for watching. If you've Appreciate made it, it this far, yeah. feel free Add me on Instagram. Or also check out, of course, Stephen's stuff. All of his subscribe. links are going to be posted down below. Get a free stock down below, down below with in that the Public.com slash gram. Brilliant. When you make a deposit. <laughs> All right. cool. See you. Cheers.